0: Tonight, week two of our study in the book of Galatians, very important book that we introduced last week with really just uh, the confrontation that we find in the first two verses, really the first verse, of the necessity to distinguish the work of men from the work of God. And this is going to be the theme throughout this study, is to zero in on the necessity not only for enduring faith, but of faith in Christ alone, that we do not add to this doctrine, to this faith, to the work of Christ. And and this, I need to develop a little bit more um, than I did last week, uh, the fact and the matter of our salvation, um, because... We again correlating this with this morning's message of being able to decipher um, are you a child of God or are you a almost persuaded person? Are you one with all the information or are we genuine believers in Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord? And we all often look at the side of this as what we are leaving out. And, and I tend to do that too. I work, walk people through the gospel message, and we start with sinners and identifying sin, that you're an affront to a holy God, that you are deserving of death and punishment, that there's nothing you can do um, to resolve that, and um, Christ came, died, rose again, conquered sin and death, and we simply need to trust Him. And we want to make sure all those elements are intact in our message, and we're often looking and listening for people when they are describing their relationship with god uh for any of those things missing and that's usually what we're looking for is a missing element that they didn't recognize they were a sinner that they um uh believe in god but not in the work of jesus christ and you know, or they don't believe that jesus was lord himself incarnate and um so we're looking for those elements of repentance of of a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and uh belief, faith, trust, we're looking for what's missing. Very seldom are we careful to listen to what's been added. And that's what the book of Galatians is really all about, is we can pervert the gospel by subtracting from it, so we can do injury to the person of Jesus Christ by saying he's somehow less than God or less than man. Either one does injury to his work and it's no longer capable of saving us if he's not fully God and fully man um, we start talking about people sin as if it's just mistakes or that's just being human um, I wouldn't call that an affront to anyone that's just what it means to be human we make mistakes uh, and they trivialize sin or they don't identify it as sin at all and they start to make themselves the measure of, of uh, acceptance they try to see sin as a balancing act while I do good things to counteract bad things in my life Um, And uh, we go through all those and we're careful to make sure all those elements are there. What we seldom listen for is what's been added to that message. Uh, Have they added to it? And I would contend with you that this has been a scourge on uh, Christianity globally, probably on a larger scale than the detractions are. That has done more damage to the cause of Christ of that the book of Galatians is addressing those that want to add to it. That is, you can believe on Jesus Christ, but when they say that, they're really meaning what we talked about this morning, that you're believing in that information and that act, but you're not fully trusting in his work alone to achieve your deliverance. And so um, they are... They talk about the work of Christ. They celebrate it. They use Jesus' name a lot. But then when you get down into their real doctrine of what does it mean to be uh, a person of faith in their religion, and I hesitate to call them Christian because they have perverted it so badly that Paul later on in this very first chapter is going to say, that's not even the gospel. That's another gospel. That's some other religion. Okay? And so... Uh, what have they added to it? Well, they, much like the Judaizers that we're going to deal with here in Galatians, they have added the work of men to the work of Christ. That is that Christ's work wasn't completely sufficient. And so we have to add to it our own efforts. And those efforts always sound good. Um, here in this, con- in, in what we're going to be studying throughout Galatians, is the work of those that say, well, you, wanna, you need to keep a whole Jewish law. You need to get circumcised. You need to keep the the Sabbath, and you need to keep the food laws. You need to keep. You need to stay kosher, basically, uh, is what our modern term would be. They didn't have that term kosher back then, um, but you need to stay uh, in, in accordance with what is described as clean in the Old Testament, and um, that is one category. And We do find those people around today. Um, many of your uh, Messianic churches that are not Jewish but are Messianic often go in that direction. Um, They want to celebrate the things of Judaism, and I'm okay with celebrating those, but they often go way too far into demanding that this is really the measure of your spirituality is whether you're keeping all those laws or not. And that cannot be because the law is complete and we live on a different scale different level than that um, and we're going to see that addressed throughout the book of galatians time and again and one of the issues is going to be circumcision and by the way when you address circumcision you're addressing something that predates the law of moses right that was given to abram so abraham was you know you circumcise your firstborn males and so that was, that was the first law, really. And so we're going to attack circumcision and say, well, that's not necessary. And if circumcision is necessary, then that abrogates the rest of the law because you can't keep any of the rest of the law if you're not practicing circumcision. And so when Paul attacks circumcision in the book of Galatians, we need to immediately connect the dots and say, well, Circumcision is a representation really of the whole law because that's where the law begins when you're eight days old. And if you can't keep the law when you're eight days old, how are you going to keep it as a 30-year-old, 40-year-old? And so we're going to go through that and we're going to see uh, the, how Paul addresses these things and, and really uh, turns them upside down to the and contrasts them. Remember, between being a slave and being a free man, uh, between being under grace or under law, between being in the flesh or in the spirit. And so we're going to see those. But one of the things we want to talk about is these that add to it. This isn't the only thing that's added to it. In our day and age, we have had 2,000 years of men adding to the gospel. And that's one of the things we need to be very careful with. Um, We're not going to add um, any of the things that Catholicism adds to the gospel. We're not going to say, well, unless you have this, 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 um, you know, you can't assure you of heaven. You'll probably have to go to purgatory and burn it off for a while. Um, that's adding to the gospel. The gospel doesn't say you have to have last rites or you're going to have to pay for it in purgatory. There's no purgatory in, in God's word anyway. Um, the, it doesn't talk about having your first communion of the necessity of baptism um, as a, a redemptive work, an act, whereby any sins are dealt with Um, none of that, that's all added and that is going to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we see that and and we look at the Mormons and yeah, they do weird things to Jesus and stuff. But one of the other facets there that immediately should get our attention is, well, they're adding to the gospel. Now, in addition to believing in their Jesus, which is a very different Jesus than the Bible speaks of, you got to hold to all the other tenets of Mormonism and practice them and be a temple Mormon and basically go through all the rituals that are amazingly similar to being a Freemason, interestingly enough, which Joseph Smith used to be. And so it was natural for him to just bring all Freemasonry into Mormonism. And so when we look at this and we come to a group that says, well, reading the Bible's okay, but you need to read our translation and you need to read our magazine, the Watchtower, and that's the Jehovah's Witnesses, well, red flags should start going up. What do you mean? I can't just pick up a Bible and read it? Uh, You added to this? Uh, This isn't sufficient. And so the gospel isn't perverted simply by denying truths that are there, and that's certainly the case in most of the heathen world. Of those that that don't give any lip service to Christ at all, they're going to deny his deity, they're going to deny deity at all. They're going to deny sin. They're going to deny the consequence, They're going to deny sin. They're going to, or, or hell. They're going to deny all of that. Uh, but most in religious circles, their greatest guilt is here in the book of Galatians, is adding to the gospel. And we're not very sensitive to that, frankly, to tell you the truth. And we ought to be. Um, Paul is going to go to great lengths to explain just how hideous that really is. And the terminology he's going to use is going to be. How do I want to say this? Um, by our standards, impolite. <laughs> They're going to be very in your face as we're going to see. But he's going to start off not on that tenor. He's going to build to it. He's going to start off in verse 3 of Galatians 1 by saying, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, very clearly he has taken great effort to communicate something about our salvation, and that is that it is in Christ alone. You can't miss it. He, Grace comes to you, which is you receiving something you don't deserve. Wages are those that you earn. Grace is something you accept and receive that you can't ever earn. That I'm just going to, Give it to you. You you are blessed to have it. Uh, you didn't deserve it, earn it. It's not because you're a wonderful person. It's not because you smiled at me. It's not because I want anything from you. Um, it's not that you. I want a payment from you. It's it's simply I'm giving it to you. And this is what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. He has given us grace, and so undeserved merit or favor. Uh, that God has given us something we don't deserve, and this is going to be a huge facet. This is different than earning it. So it's grace or works. Which one is it? Which one are you trusting in, grace of God or the works of yourself? And Paul is going to press this issue. So it's natural. You'd expect it once he gets the introduction. The first word coming out of the book is grace. Grace to you. I want you to understand that everything I want for you um, is found in the grace of God. It's not found in your activity, it's not found in your work. It's not found in your obedience. Uh, obedience is a response to grace. It is not the bringer of grace to you. And then the second thing he wants them to have is a nice uh, contrast to what he's going to share in a little a couple of verses. And that is peace. And when we add to the gospel, uh, one of the things that's going to take away from us is peace. There is a certain calmness, a settledness, a sureness, when the work of getting to heaven has been accomplished by God Himself, and not by you. Would you agree with that? But there's just a certain sense that I can relax. I don't need to do more. I don't. My place is secure because of the one in whom I'm trusting, not in myself or in my activity. Um, my activity, again, we're going to contrast this with, with the demonstration of genuine faith that we're that you're going to be studying in Hebrews, that we have studied in the past, versus the origin of your deliverance. And so he says, peace. Peace. Uh, that you should be able to have this confidence, this deep-seated piece of everything's taken care of because I've trusted in Jesus Christ. Everything's taken care of. Contrast that. Look at the difference when you get down to uh, verse 7. It says, um, the last uh, clause there says, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So here comes these people into the congregation and, uh, oh, you mean you haven't, you don't, <gasps> oh, you haven't, and you don't. Fill in the blank. It doesn't matter what they add to it, and they add different things. So I don't want to fill in the blank for it. You don't do this? Oh, my. I'm not sure you're a Christian. You don't speak in tongues? <gasps> you probably haven't gotten the Spirit. Yeah, it even involves that group. They have perverted the gospel by adding to it. Which God word never adds to it. Oh, you don't do this? You haven't done this? Oh my. And and if you think that Baptists are immune from this, you're wrong. <laughs> we are as guilty sometimes as many others. Um, in fact, Pastor Bailey, after being a missionary on the mission field in Costa Rica and, uh, and in uh, Juarez... Um, and then retiring and being in Rio Rancho um, and his wife uh, going through Alzheimer's and, and uh, struggling, and he is struggling to care for her, uh, the church that he was attending decided that he needed to be rebaptized. Why? Well, I'm not sure you're baptizing the right kind of church. because it wasn't their kind of church. Oh, it was baptism by immersion as a believer, um, but that's not quite enough. So here you're going to take this at that time about 60-year-old, 60-some-year-old man, 65-year-old man, and who's been a pastor uh, most of his life, faithfully serving the Lord, and you're going to require him to re- be rebaptized. Um, and that church is alive and well up there in Rio Rancho. Um, and that's a perversion. And so. And in fact, uh, one of the things that uh, Chris and Gacy said, to I mean, we went to most churches and they just tried to get us saved because we weren't just like them. Um, we followers of Jesus Christ. And um, oh, that we would be careful and cautious. And we're going to talk about liberty at the end of Galatians extensively. That we are careful and cautious to recognize there is, there is a demonstration of your faith that I need to see so that I can have confidence that you're a believer. And there's a difference between that and saying, if you're not doing X, Y, Z, in addition to trusting in Christ, there's no way you can be a believer. Um, There's a huge wall between those two. There's a great divide, a gap um, between those, and we don't want to bring that gap too close together. We don't want to be caught in that trap. And so, you'll hear me commonly say, well, I want you to be led by the Holy Spirit, but here's the commands of God's Word, and you should be wanting to obey those, Um, and uh, if the Spirit isn't moving in your life to encourage you to live like me, um, it should at least direct you to live like the Bible says, and when it gives a direct command, I shouldn't have a problem uh, inciting you to obey it, right? Right? And so the Bible says, do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together as a manner of some is. That's a direct command, which means don't stop getting together with the Christians. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning a little bit. Don't stop that. Don't stop that. That's a direct command from God. Be faithful. You need the fellowship of time in the Word, time with believers, uh, time in corporate worship. We need that. It is, it is necessary for our Christian existence and survival uh, to persist in our faith by meeting together. And so I shouldn't have to bend over backwards to get someone to do that. But nor am I going to come to and say, well, if you're not coming to church, you're going to hell. You see the difference? If you don't come to church, you're not a Christian at all. No, I'm going to tell you you're in disobedience. I'm going to tell you get, this, get to a church that's preaching the word. doesn't have to be this church, but you better get yourself connected in and, and And uh, find out why you're not interested in being in church and and so that's the distinction that we're trying to make okay between the liberty and the law we are not going to institute a law that says well uh, you're not a believer now because you won't obey XYZ and we get to choose our list Um, but we should be able to point to God's word and say you need to be obedient to that and when there is an understanding of grace and a reception of peace that God has accomplished it all, now out of that graced state and out of that sense of peace, we can then serve not to try to earn something, but simply to declare our gratitude for what we have been given. And that's the foundation of our obedience to God. Um, Now, is there guilt involved in that? Sometimes, yes, Um, and you should feel a little guilty if you're unthankful. I regularly try to make my children feel guilty if they're not thankful for what their mom does for them or the society does for them or dad does for them or the church does for them. Um, Oh, boy, we guilted Valerie up and down all summer to write her thank you notes I mean, my wife put the screws on her all summer long. It has been three weeks. Have you written any thank you notes? It's been six weeks. Have you written any thank you notes? Those people cared about you. What is wrong with you, child? What kind of person did we raise? I mean, that's just guilt, right? Does that mean we disowned her and said, you're not a child of mine because you're unthankful? No. We're dealing with, and I think she was thankful. She just, did she, did she write them all? I shouldn't put her on the spot here in front of everyone. You did write them. You have written them, haven't you? Okay, good. What a relief. We guilted her into that. So, And sometimes we obey because it's our duty to do it. Okay. Now I have to ask Brenda if she's written all her thank you notes for all her wedding gifts too. What? You haven't sent them? What kind of child have I raised here? Oh. Sorry, Valerie, I should have not even mentioned you. I should have just talked about Brenda. (laughs) Similarly, in the church, there's a difference between spurring one another on to love and to good deeds and condemning people to eternal judgment and rejecting them because they didn't match our set of rules. That's the difference. And so grace and peace establishes me in this relationship. Now out of thankfulness, I can confidently walk in obedience and that's what Paul calls us to do. That's liberty. That's not slavery. That's liberty. I'm free to do this now. Because Christ has delivered me and that's what he's going to get to in verse 4. He gave himself for our sins, so our sins are te- dealt with. That's grace and that brings peace. To know that, That my sins are covered um, and I don't have to try to fix any of them really. I'm going to eradicate them out of my life um, because I don't want to sin more against the grace of God. I don't want to displease Him because He's already forgiven me of so much debt. I'm not going to go into more debt um, because He's forgiven me of this debt. And so we recognize He gave Himself for our sins, delivered us, and this is kind of interesting we would expect the word, next word, deliver us from, the next word we would expect to see is death, right? Because we connect to sin and death pretty well. But notice what Paul does. And by the way, normally Paul would use the idea of death. He did this in Romans and other passages. He would say he delivered us from the wrath to come, from death, things like that. But in this occasion, he uses a different phrase. He says, it has delivered us from this present evil age. And again, this is very purposeful. This is in line with the message of this book. Everything you try to do to earn salvation has to happen where? Here and now. In the here and now, in this present age. And from Paul's perspective, you're trying to accomplish something that can't be accomplished. You can't, while in that flesh that you're residing in right now, in this evil world with all the wickedness surrounding you, it is impossible for you in this age, this time, in this place, to do perfectly what God wants you to do. It is impossible. You have to be delivered from this age, not try to perfect this age. And that is foundational to the gospel. And that is why when I come across people this, and and by the way, this is Catholic doctrine as well, is that uh, the church will do its job so well, we'll have so many people saved that the world will become the the church and the church the world. and, And we'll usher in a thousand year reign of the church over the world and everything will be wonderful and God will just applaud us. That's called post-millennialism. It means that Jesus will come after we've done our job so well that for a thousand years the earth is going to have peace that we create by imposing the church on the world, which is what the Catholics did. And so when they went out and conquered new lands, they sent priests with them to sanctify that land and to get everybody baptized and following through on all of that. Why? Because they felt that they needed to save the world or make the world Catholic, uh, Roman, and to bring in a thousand-year time of peace. But Paul has a different view of this age. He says this age isn't a place where you're going to be able to accomplish those kinds of things by your own efforts. This is an age that's evil, that you need to be delivered from, not con- transform it, not try to conform it to Christ. You're going to have to be, because it won't. It, it's evil, it's the present age is evil, and this is where you are, and you're not going to be able to um, uh, make it good, uh, not politically, not militarily, and that's been tried right? We tried to do it that we um, the Roman Church and other churches, the reformed churches tried to do it militarily. You convert or die, and we can be all upset about the Muslims all we want. But really, until the Anabaptists established and the Puritans established some things in this country, um, most Christianity had a militant view as well. You convert or die. They had that philosophy as well. Sometimes it was convert and die. And so um, there's some history there. So before you get too excited about the Muslims, recognize that in the Reformation it was convert or die. Um, in, in, in Roman church it was convert or die um, and that was the norm and it really wasn't until the uh, Anabaptists came over here and most of what we hold to in terms of liberty is derived from their doctrine that predates all the documents of this country but yet our country's documents are largely dependent upon those ideas of individual soul liberty and things along that line. And so this is a present evil age. So here are the Galatians being told by these Judaizers, well, you've got to get circumcised, you've got to stay pure by the law, you've got to keep those commandments, you've got to keep the food laws, and you basically have to keep yourself ceremonially clean to please God. And all those things are done in the here and now. And Paul says, this is the evil age. You can't accomplish those things in the here and now. Those things, you have to to be delivered from this age so that you can then do the things of another kingdom. And so when we talk about ourselves as citizens of another kingdom, that's what Christ has done for us. He has delivered us from the here and now and this evil... "...and put us into His citizenship, His realm, where we are now Spirit-filled, made holy by His work, imputed to us, granted to us, grace to us, planted in us, not our own, His righteousness put in us, and now by the power of the Spirit and the power of His righteousness, we can now do good even in this evil age." But that's not what the Judaizers wanted to do. They said that in the midst of this evil age you can do good and that is necessary to be accepted by the Father. Well, that wasn't the Father's plan. And that's what Paul wants to stipulate. Is the Father's plan all along was that you would only be delivered from this evil age by the work of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sins through his sacrifice. And so that's why in addition to the work of Jesus we find in verse 3, And four, we also have at the end of verse four, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom, that is the Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so that's the finish of it, is that this has been the will of the Father all along. This is nothing new. Nothing in the Old Testament saved people, none of that activity, not circumcision, right? Not the sacrifices, Not the ceremonial laws, not the food laws, none of those saved them. By what means was Abraham declared righteous? By faith. Before there was any law. Let's go back even farther than Abraham. How was Noah declared righteous? How was Seth? How was Enoch declared righteous? Similarly, all, I was Abel, righteous, and Cain not by faith. They took God at his word, they trusted him, and then they obeyed. And it wasn't the keeping of the law. How was David declared righteous? When you think of all that he did, all the immorality and the murders and the things he let his kids get away with, he had to be one of the worst parents in the world. Um, and yet he was called a friend of God. And so when we look at this, what Paul is describing is that this has been the will of God, is that you, your trust isn't in yourself, it's not in the keeping of the law, it is in the grace of God that he gives you what you don't deserve, it is the peace that comes only from God uh, and the Lord Jesus Christ, because of his sacrifice, because of his deliverance, not to... uh, give us an opportunity to do good to get into a relationship with him, but to first have a relationship with God and then be able to serve him. And that's a very different order. And so um, I, I don't mean to harp against Catholicism, but it's just so handy and we're so generally aware of it. And so when you walk in into a baptismal tank, and um, and it's clearly delineated um, why do Roman, Why does the Roman church require it for infancy? Um, well, because they muddied it. They made it, they made it messy because they said, well, it takes away original sin. And so we don't want our infants to die in their sin. They'll go to hell because they carry the sin of their father. And we have to wash that away with baptismal waters. And so they baptized babies. Well, um, that theology was wrong. It added to the gospel. Only one thing takes away sin. I'm pretty sure it says, Jesus gave himself for our sins. All sin has to be taken away through the work of Christ, including the original sin you inherited from your father you've heard me teach this, so hopefully most of you are on board with understanding this, especially out of Romans, that um, everyone touched by Adam's sin has been touched by Christ's sacrifice. Very clearly spoken in Romans where it says, everyone, all men are sinners because all men are an Adam. And then there was a second Adam, a representative of the entire human race in which all... Have been made righteous. What is that talking about? It's not talking about the removal of original sin. It's talking about the deliverance of original sin. That that's covered. But because the Roman Church didn't understand that, they wanted to add their works to the work of Christ. Now you had to baptize your children, and you don't want to wait till they're teenagers and know what they're doing. You don't want to do that because what if they die and they're still in the original sin? They're going to go to hell forever. And so because we got the theology wrong and add to the gospel, now our practice becomes wrong and we start baptizing them younger and younger and younger. Well, there's a problem. The children were drowning. When you put a baby underwater like they were doing, they would get pneumonia and die. So now we have to change our practice a little bit more and instead of dunking them, we start sprinkling them. And that's where the sprinkling started. Why? Well, sprinkling itself wasn't the problem. The problem was really the original doctrine that added to the work of Christ the work of baptism. Baptism doesn't take away sin. It's simply an act of obedience. And so when we look at the completed work of Christ, it should bring peace because we have a confidence in it, and this is contrasted to all these other doctrines that add to it our trouble some they trouble your heart can you imagine being a parent in the middle ages and even to this day and fretting and worrying how much worry you're going to have between the time your child is conceived in the womb to the chance you get to baptize them if they die anywhere in there they are determined to be in hell does that bring peace no, it troubles you. Think of how troubled you would be that, oh man, if I don't live just right, I am going. if I don't make sure that my good deeds, if I don't keep this law just right, if I accidentally break a law and then die before I remember that I did it, um, I, I won't go to heaven. I'll have to go to purgatory. Can you think about how much peace the doctrine of purgatory has robbed from the truth of Scripture. Think about that men on their deathbeds were convinced to sign over their entire estate to the Roman church on the basis of their fear of purgatory. That's not peace. To be afraid. Well, if there's not a priest around to give me last rites, oh man, what's going to happen? Oh, I didn't I didn't go to confession, I didn't do my whatever. Um, and it's no different for other faiths too, of the Mormons and Seventh-day Adventists and all of them have added to the gospel like the Galatians have and they have perverted it and it's no longer the gospel of Jesus Christ it's the gospel of you and Jesus and Jesus isn't a part of that so it ends up being the gospel of you. And there's no peace there because all of us in our heart of hearts knows we're not up to the task, are we? Not in this evil age. We're not up to it. And so this was God's plan all along. And do I have time to get to verse 6? Yes, I do. Good. So verse 6 takes us now into Paul's amazement. You had this wonderful thing, the grace of God. You have peace. You have your sins taken care of. You have deliverance from this present evil age offered. You are walking in the way of God the Father. And now you want to... Leave all that. You're just ready to walk away. And he says, I marvel. That's amazing to me. You're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. We're not getting any farther than that. And so they're turning away. And... Remember these are people who came to know Christ under the ministry of Paul the Apostle. They heard what the Romans read. They are part of those that came to Christ and established these churches. and we think about the region of Galatia. Um, you're talking about the, the Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. Um, and Paul went up in there with the Gospel of Jesus Christ and and throughout the whole Galatian region. Um, and Cappadocia and some other areas there um, but here in, in over, overall it was called Galatia in that region was the one of the first places he went with Barnabas remember and so he's penetrating that with the gospel very early on this is one of the earliest books we have the New Testament uh, provided for us and so uh, he's like I'm amazed the likelihood is that he wrote this maybe between missionary journeys and maybe that's what necessitated either the second or third journey to make sure they double back on those churches and check on them. Because Judaizers has gotten to them with a different gospel. Oh, you heard the gospel of Paul? Well, he didn't have the whole story. Because you need to keep the Jewish law too. You're not circumcised? You're probably not going to heaven. Well, not Probably. You're not going to heaven, because you're not clean before God. And we all know that if you're not circumcised, you're a dog, and God can't accept you into his kingdom. Well, that isn't true. Noah wasn't circumcised. Seth wasn't circumcised. Abram wasn't circumcised when God called him, and he obeyed, and he was counted righteous. That came much later in life, when he had a son. But they add to it, oh no, you need this, you need to keep all these laws. And so that had gone out behind Paul. So Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas, those guys are out there, and here comes these these Jews. Remember, this is what Jerusalem is all about. Remember our study in Acts? What's going on in Jerusalem? Many Jews, myriads of Jews have come to know Christ and are zealous for, not Jesus, they're zealous for the law. Well, that's who is going out behind Paul, into these churches. <gasps> you're not circumcised. You're not keeping the Old Testament law. How can you call yourself a follower of Jehovah? How can you give? How can you say you're a believer? You're going to hell. You better get your act together. As soon as you start adding one act, and that act that Paul's going to pick out is circumcision. As soon as you add one law to the work of Christ as a means of gaining a relationship with God, it's a different gospel. Something else It is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's something totally different. It's a perversion. It's not what is going to deliver you. And when he says you are turning away from him who called you, I want you to notice that. You're not just turning away from an ideology. You're not turning away from a philosophy of religion. Um, you are turning away from a person. Please notice that. He doesn't say you are turning away from your faith because they still have faith. It's being coming misplaced. Who? What they're turning away from is not a what, but a who. Look at who you're turning away from. You're turning away from him who who called you in the grace of Christ. In, and who is the caller? Um, if you go into Romans, you know that who the caller is. And it really comes back, it's an A, B, B, A format here. Uh, in verses 4 and 5, you have Jesus does the work and uh, um, del- delivered us from our sins, del- or gave himself for our sins, delivered us from the evil age, and then the Father was the one that he was obeying, to whom be glory forever and ever. And now, here is the grace of Christ. Uh, So who is it you're turning away from? You're turning away from the Father who sent his Son to die for you. The very Jehovah, Yahweh, that you claim to be serving better by keeping the law, you're actually turning away from him because by turning to the law, you are rejecting his Son even if you keep the name of his son incorporated in your worship. You have rejected it because you're saying his wasn't sufficient. What he did wasn't enough. You have to, yeah, he died for you, that's fine, you believe in him, but you also have to keep this law. You have to keep these rites, these these rituals. You have to do them, or you are going to go to hell, or to purgatory, or to some... Or just cease to exist. Some of them have, there's no hell, purgatory. You just die and cease to exist. The Jehovah's Witnesses and others. Paul says you're turning away from God. He loved you, sent you his son to die for you, and you're rejecting him. You're rejecting God because you've said that his sending of his son was helpful but not necessary and that his death on the cross wasn't enough to cover all your sins that his resurrection wasn't sufficient enough to deliver you from the present evil age and that you need to add to his works for your salvation and that is hideous to God you're turning away from him so, you're not turning away from a church, you're not turning away from a religion, you're not turning away from a, the, a, a philosophy or a theological position, you're turning away from a person. And that's why it is maybe more hideous than taking away from the gospel is to add to it. To know that Jesus is there and acknowledge all that about him and then to say it wasn't enough. God's like, I paid the full price. What are you doing? And let me give you an illustration. Um, If I pay full price for something for you as a gift, and I am giving it to you not because you deserve it, but because I love you. And I give you it gladly and freely, and I pay Top dollar for the best on the market, and I give it to you. Wrap it up in a pretty present, hand it to you, and enjoy watching you open it. And then later that day, you come up and say, Let me pay for some of that. What's my response going to be? Oh, how nice of you! Thank you so much. Why would that not be my response? Because you're basically rejecting it as a gift. It's no longer a gift. You want to pay for it. You don't want to be beholding. So let me pay for that. Even if you want to partially pay for it. No, it's a gift. Don't rob me of that by wanting to pay me for something I want to give you. And that's somewhat behind the whole tenor of Paul saying, I don't necessarily want anything from you. I just want to give you the gospel. I don't want anything in return. I don't need anything in return. God has always taken care of me, whether in in plenty or in want. I've learned to be content, and uh, so I don't need anything from you. I just want you to have eternal life, forgiveness of sin, and all that is... Secured by the work of Christ on your behalf. That's all Paul wanted. And to a degree, those that said he had ulterior motives was an affront. I don't want anything back. I want this to be a gift. And this is God's position. And when we say, we'll pay you back something, um, we don't want it to be a gift. (laughs) Let me pay you for it. Let me earn this. So I can go to heaven and say, well, I earned that. no. Just giving it to you. To try to earn something you've been given is an affront to the giver. And so when you try to earn something that only Christ could earn and has earned, you're making an affront to God who gave him for you. So don't turn away from him and add So we're going to look at how we add to it here in the next uh, few weeks. But um, this is the overwhelming force of it. And I want to just caution you to be ready to consider um, these that claim the name of Christ, but have they perverted the gospel so much that they are in the disfavor of God because of it. And we want to be careful to walk, uh, have our faith in the work of Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word and for the opportunity we've had to study it today, both this morning, Sunday school and church and tonight. Lord, help us throughout this week to keep our eyes stayed on Jesus Christ. And to keep our noses in in your book, in the scriptures, that our thoughts might stay on you that we might walk in a manner that shows how grateful we are for all you've done for us, knowing that it is from you, that we have received righteousness and the power of the Spirit, and it is to you that we want to give glory. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.